Once again, golf nerds uh, gather around the old radio. Swing thoughts. Great to be with you, as always, on TSN 1150 in Hamilton. It still sounds kind of weird that we've turned this little weird hobby of ours into a radio show. Uh, my name's Humble Howard, golf spiritual leader, along with the uh, mental performance coach of the Glen Abbey Golf Academy, Tim uh, O'Connor, former altar boy. Uh, Tim now- not. <laughs> what? Tim not. <laughs> um, okay, well, I, I just imagine that one point you were, you know, in the, in the service, and uh, anyway, I'm happy to be here with you. That's all I know. You flustered me from the get-go. Didn't mean to. Yeah, no, that's all right. I know the reputation is a good boy, but not a choir boy. Oh, you're a very good boy. That's what you, you are. Real, you hit me in a real soft spot here. We're, I think we're working about this this stuff later in the show. So, do you, do you want to start again? Because I'm okay with that. Um, listen, everyone, this is Swing Thoughts. Tim's a, a mental performance coach. Also works a lot of uh, elite players. He's also the uh, coach of the Guelph Griffins University uh, golf team. He's got some great cred. Uh, myself, um, you know, I'm a radio guy, I'm a stand-up comedian, and currently the 69th-ranked senior uh, player in Ontario. That's that's the level. That's the level we're dealing with here today, folks. And a, and a licensed pilot, and the guy could actually ride a unicycle. That's yes, right. So. I have a, a pilot's license, and I can juggle on a unicycle. Juggle um, as well. I didn't know that part. Oh yeah, I can juggle. Um, listen, everyone. It's a show about golf. We're great to uh, we're grateful and, and happy to be here on the weekend, getting you ready for some more golf in Ontario. The weather is stunning. Make sure you're outfitting yourself with the new TP5 or TP5X from TaylorMade. Uh, of course, TaylorMade, one of our sponsors, number one driver in golf. Uh, currently, Coach Tim is rocking the M5. I think driver. Rocking, good word. Yes, and, fully uh, rocking. And this, and uh, me, number uh, sixty nine, uh, ranked senior in Ontario. I am uh, using the M six. By the way, I'm also ranked two hundred and twenty eighth in the mid am category. Pretty impressive, I know. <laughs> I'm really, you know, I've, you know, you. It's not like I'm in. I I would like to say I'm in the top ten, but I'm just, you know, here I am, just kind of one of those journeymen. I guess I would be similar to, uh, you know, I don't know. I'm not, I was going to say Chambly in that. You know, I've done okay. I, I've I've made. I'm on the tour. No, 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 no. You're more. You're more of uh, yeah, the journeyman who yeah. comes out of the pack and go like, guess look who's here, Howard. <laughs> what a story he is. I That's can just right. hear in tone. You know, and they start to go through the bio and the the researchers start to make the phone calls. Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. I'm a guy. I make I make the cut. You know, I qualify for the tournaments, but I've yet to contend, which is what we'll talk about later in the show. Uh, TaylorMade, of course, amazing. And Adidas, I just got, did you see the nice note we got from Brad Chillette? Uh, oh, few, yeah. A few weeks really? ago, we gave away some more cool Adidas and TaylorMade stuff, and Brad was the guy that won the uh, Adidas uh, prize package, the shoes, the polo, the shorts, and Brad was so happy when he got it. What did he say? He was like the proud peacock of the uh, fairways. You know what? He, it was so nice to see Brad win that. He's a, a vision of sartorial splendor to begin with. So well, that was even better. And certainly one of the guys, uh, men and women, that have been supporting our podcast now, according to Mr. O'Connor, the official historian of Swing Thoughts, uh, our next episode will be episode 100. Wow. 
That's cool. That's very cool. So this is number 99, which is kind of neat. So this, this podcast will be a great one. Sorry. Ah, very good. All right. Do you remember uh, that song, by the way, by Toto? Oh, which one is that? 99. No, um, I don't know. Oh, that was, a, that was a little bit too poppy for you? You're like there with Journey and Foreigner, you know, that corporate rock stuff. I hated wow. it. Wow. Hate's a pretty strong word. Okay. Yeah, I play in a punk band. I got a reputation to keep up. <laughs> well, the fact that you're in a punk band is one of the funniest things I've heard. I love that. Um, hey, there's a great shot of Tim playing bass a few weeks ago on his Facebook, and there you were, just uh, you and some other old, you know, old, <laughs> <laughs> old middle-aged white guys jamming. Yeah. Suck it on the oxygen between, <laughs> you know. That's right. We didn't have to worry about. We didn't have to worry about you know the, the self medication. Self medication when it's just Advil. Well, listen, you guys. That's uh, it's great that you're still doing it and interested in doing it. Uh, welcome to the show today on the uh, program. We're going to talk about a few things. Uh, of course, we continue with the frustration that is golf. Oh, and by the way, I also want to mention the uh, rangefinder, the Bushnell rangefinder V4. Uh, Shift Laser, uh, another sponsor of the program. Now, it's an interesting thing in in tournament golf. I was worried that you were not allowed to have the slope because the the V four Shift Laser has the sloped feature. Now, I don't use it. Uh, I tried it out a few times playing like fun rounds around my course. But you can't use it in competition. I didn't even think you were allowed to have it. But you're allowed to have it as long as you don't turn it on. And the the great thing about our game is it's just, you know, the honor system. Yeah. You self-police yourself. Yeah. Like, who's going to know if you're, you know, only you are going to know if you're way off in the rough and it, in the right rough and everyone's on the left side and you kind of nudge your ball up a bit. You know, me, I couldn't do it because I'm Roman Catholic. The guilt would kill me. Yeah, well, I'm as you know, we uh, are Hebrew. The he, your Hebrew brethren, we are, you know, pretty neck and neck when it comes to guilt. Um, yeah, it's funny Not thing. You, you know, it's interesting you mention that about nudging a golf ball, whether you're in competition or you're just playing with friends. It There are very few things you can do, I'll say in life, but in golf and life, that will follow you forever, like cheating at the game. Absolutely. Yeah, that's, it says so much about your character, and it also can really have a ramification on, uh, on, your, on your friendship and what happens at a, at a golf club. We had a guy a couple of years ago who, yeah, was known to take, um, oh, what's the word, umbrage? No, not umbrage, uh, liberties with liberties. the rules. And uh, he got called on the carpet, and it caused uh, basically the membership to blow up. You had this group of guys, and it formed one group, another group, and he left the club. And, you know, and that's an often told story, quite unfortunately. So I think the the key piece there is like, wow, what would compel somebody really to to cheat like that? Like, like what belief system do they have going? What, What is it that would make them take that type of risk. And if they do that in golf, are they doing that the rest of their life as well? I know I kind of went a dark turn on that, but no, not at all. I, I, well, that's, it's interesting because, you know, I didn't intend to talk about this, but just as a, as a discussion point, 
I don't know how this came up recently. I was in some tournament. We were just talking about cheating. And and I said to that person, I said, you know, it's interesting. 45 years ago, rumor had it that in some small, you know, satellite tour somewhere, VJ Singh may have done something. Don't even know. But almost every conversation I've ever had about VJ Singh, one of the greatest players of all time, also includes that rumor about him cheating. That's forever. Exactly. And, and who wants to get even like tainted a little bit with that brush? You just don't. And unfortunately, what, you know, I would, you know, I spent a long time in official journalism, you know, writing in notepads and doing things for Canadian press, UPI and stuff. And, and what I came to find with that is that occasionally there were rumors and things that got out that were, yeah, unfounded. And often there was, you know, someone unscrupulous trying to bring down somebody. But I also came to understand that, you know, unfortunately, where, where there's some smoke, there's often fire. And with, when there's a, a whiff of something that's happened with someone, well, that's not usually an isolated incident. It's usually a couple of things, a number of things that kind of pile together, and it, it tends to gain some momentum. And so it's it's a, you're absolutely right, you know. So, kind of like Don Cherry, hey kids, if you think about cheating, don't do it. <laughs> but that's one of the great things about this game is that I asked uh, somebody on the first tee. It may have even been a qualifier, a GAO qualifier, but it was a pretty big tournament. I said, oh by the way, I have a rangefinder, the uh, Bushnell V4, you know, shift laser. <laughs> And they said, oh, how impressive. Yes, I exactly. said, I have this, and it has slope on it. And the answer was, as long as you don't turn it on, you can use it. And that there was an, a, an immediate acknowledged trust. And I was standing on the tee at that time with two men that were strangers to me because we hadn't played yet. And they just all, all everyone assumed that I just wouldn't break the rules because that's what we assume about the people we play the game with. And whether it's a, a, a slope or not slope or whether it's you're in the woods and you put your club down behind the ball and it moves, which we've all done. Now, in the old rules, that was a penalty. It's not anymore. But when it was, I've called myself on that. I know most of us that have played the game have called, hey, listen. I grounded my club. It moved. I'm gonna. I'm now hitting three. Or when you, yeah. you know, it's just. I. It's, it's what's great about the game. Is it, it? It not. It reveals. There is a sort of agreed upon integrity amongst the people we're playing with. Absolutely. And the greatest part about integrity to me is that you know I can make say a judgment about someone else whether they have integrity or not. But it's way more important that I feel that I have a sense of integrity, that I'm good with me. So, as you know, with the Mankind Project work that I do, we have a little definition. So, integrity, that's when my thoughts, my words, and my actions are in alignment. And basically, the translation to that is when when I adhere to my core values. So, when I'm trying to sneak around, cheat on things... That is, I am not going to feel good with me, and when I'm starting a position of not feeling good with me, everything else kind of goes into the dumper. So when I'm in alignment with what I truly stand for in life, then things tend to work out better. Not you know maybe it's not the score I wanted to post, but if 
if I post a 76 and I know in my heart it's a 78, ugh, that's a hard, that's a bag of rocks to carry around. You know, it's funny. I, to a fault sometimes, I know what I'm, I know what my score is on the whole and I have a really good sense of what it is in the round. So when I play tournament golf, which I have been, you know, my shoulders better now. So I've been in, I've played mostly tournament golf for the last three weeks. So when I'm in a tournament, I'm very aware of what my score is on that hole. And when I play with somebody and they go, I go, uh, what was that, Bob? And he says five, and we all know it was six. I, I, I sometimes go, are you hoping that I'll think it's a five? And then I've had this happen recently where I said, um, well, we, are you sure? Like maybe you're confused. Maybe you forgot you hit it in the hazard. And then immediately it's like, oh, yeah, 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 I forgot. Yeah, but, you know, that's bull. Absolutely. I have not played a hole of golf. Well, you know, yeah, maybe if you're making a quad or a 10, you're not 100% sure. You're like, okay, two in the hazard, four out, three. You know what I mean? But if yeah. it's a five or a six and you're telling me, oh, I am not, oh, I forgot. No, you didn't. You were just kind of, or or this has happened, happened a couple times because not everyone scores the same way. So the gentleman I was playing with the other day kept saying, like, I made a bogey because I was at a par. Now, I could have said yes, but we all know it wasn't a par. So there's always those little subtle opportunities, if you will, to go one way or the other. But I just, you know, it's like you said, it's just easier. It's, I think it's easier just accept it. Golf's tough. Sometimes yeah. you have high scores. It sucks. Move on. Yeah, so you're talking about a kind of accountability with yourself, but often when you're playing in tournaments, you know, as you were talking about as well, you have to hold the people you're playing with accountable. For the rest of the field. Exactly right. Protecting the field. And so it can lead to some really awkward stuff. And people say, you know what? I didn't talk to that guy because I didn't want to um, – I didn't want that to go on in the group. I didn't want a, you know, maybe to get mad or something weird was going to happen. But I think that this is, again, this is going to sound traumatic, but I think one of the best gifts you can give someone is to, is to give them a good shot of reality and say, you know, Bill, you made, you made a double here. Here's the shots here. You did. And he may, he may argue with, with you, but to let him off the hook, basically what you're doing, if you let him off the hook, you're allowing him to say basically F you to you and to everyone else. And that, that that's not going to do him in any good stead, and it's certainly not going to do me in the field. So the best gift I can someone say is, to, is sort of metaphorically slap him upside this head and say, dude, you ain't getting away with that. This, this is reality, and this is what we're dealing with. Um, okay, very good. Moving on quickly, uh, a couple of things I want to get to. I'm off my soapbox. No, well, you were, I didn't feel like you were on a soapbox. Um, <laughs> just a couple of things before we get to our first break. Uh, there's a guy that I've known for a long time, very fine uh, player, plays in the uh, at the PGA of Ontario level, PGA of Canada. He's a teacher named John Cochran. I don't know if you've ever come across him, but I've known him for over 30 years. And in a sort of a fortuitous Whatever, a few um, a month or so ago, I was on the range at Glen Abbey with my brother, his uh, girlfriend, who's a very good player, and um, my new my new girlfriend or my old she's my girlfriend, but she's a new go- she's a new golfer, Rachel, 
And uh, so Rachel's hitting balls, and she's had some instruction, but just getting into the game, and I really haven't told her a lot. I kind of here's what I did. It was a little bit of a trick. I got her hooked on it without her knowing it. She's very competitive. She's very stubborn, which you need you need to be to be a good golfer, and she wants to do well. So I kind of got her started. She she started hitting the golf ball almost immediately, like getting it up in the air. So she was hooked. Now she has clubs, and we go hit balls all the time. And John, who I've known saw us and he walked over we sort of talked a little bit and he saw Rachel take a swing a couple swings and he go I just can't watch this anymore anyway long story short he has started to work with Rachel in the last month or so and and I, I what I want to do in in a while I want to put up some pictures of sort of the before and after and and just to see not only to promote him as a fine instructor but to see what a person looks like when they know nothing about the game and you can just mold them physically you can sort of give them these concepts that we struggle with these uh, our veterans but she has no idea that like I was telling you off the show I have a couple pictures from her this morning where she got into her finish position and she looks like a single digit handicap because she doesn't know any better but from a mental side I think it'll be interesting to talk to her uh, as the summer progresses, maybe with a little bit of Tim O'Connor uh, help, because she doesn't yet know that golf's, you know, a frustrating hard game. She just knows that hitting balls is fun, and sometimes she hits them good, and sometimes she doesn't. But uh, as I said to you, it's like watching a baby take its first few steps. It doesn't know that there's the, the sidewalks filled with cracks, and and uh, you can stub your toe. So she just thinks, well, golf's fun and easy. And I'm like, it's not. And uh, it's terrible. <laughs> How come you don't hate yourself yet? We've been doing, we've been doing 99 of these shows. <laughs> and you're still in this. There's a there's a boogeyman out to get a bogeyman, whatever, to get you on every hole. Uh, we still have so oh, much man. work to do. Dude, you, know, you have no idea. Um, anyway, so I just want to mention, John's going to be on the show in the next month or so. And, and again, John Cochran Schools, he is one of those guys that, again, I didn't realize. I knew he was a good teacher because I've worked with him a little bit off and on. I'm no, he used to work at a driving range that was, you'll love this, it was a three-minute walk from my house. So I spent quite a time over there. In fact, you I remember. Have, you were able to walk three minutes to hit golf. Oh balls yeah, I remember telling my father when he was still alive. He said, "Hey, what's the new house like?" I go, "I don't know, but it's three minutes from a range." So no that's cool. scratch. My gosh. So uh, Johnny's working with uh, Rachel. The other thing I wanted to bring up was uh, the Golf Channel. They have a, a division called Golf Films, and they do some pretty good stuff. The Ben Hogan thing that ran a couple weeks ago was excellent. Haven't seen it. Need to. You'll love it. And this thing that runs on Monday is Tom Watson at Turnbury. And Tom has a, a long history there. The uh, Duel in the Sun was 1977. Him and Nicholas, they both shot, I think, 65, 66 or something over the weekend. It was just epic. But then, of course, in 2009, yeah. at the age of 59, if he had just hit the last shot on 18 fat... He would have won the uh, the Open Championship, been the oldest golfer in history to win a major. But there was that shot that he just it he he hit it so good it went through the green. He couldn't get up and down, and then went to a playoff. That was that was one of those very sad majors, kind of like when Dustin Johnson three putted to lose the U.S. Open at Chambers Bay. You know, usually majors are so exciting you just turn off the TV and go. Uh, I think I'm going to go like 
drink something very poisonous just now. Um, yeah, I remember what you know what I thought about that uh, Watson at Turnberry when he lost to Stuart Sink. It was too bad. Like he had a friend of his, I think, like a retired stockbroker or something, as his caddy, his buddy. If he'd had like a professional caddy, the guy might have said, eh, "Tommy, maybe it's not an eight iron. Maybe because you're amped up in the way to green. Maybe it's a nine, or maybe it's even a full wedge." That's where my mind went, which is, and mine is always, "Oh, do I do things right?" I mean, did he have the right caddy? Ugh. I don't know. Well, it just yeah, goes to show you how. You know, really, golf is so random that one of the best players of all time, five-time Open champion, had an eight iron to a green, and it was the he had the bad luck of puring it because if he had hit a groove down, if he had hit yeah. a fat shot, if he had blocked it a little bit or pulled it slightly or whatever, anything but puring it, like nuking it through the green. He would have had a, just a simple two putty won the, won the opening. I just thought I'd point it out in case uh, you know people are getting in the mood for the uh, the Open Championship, which I guess is a couple weeks from now. Yeah, a couple weeks ago at, at Port Rush, uh, which is big, which is in Northern Ireland. So that is amazing. I've had I've been fortunate enough to play. Uh, have you really? Think, yeah, I've played Port Rush a couple times. It is epic. I mean, it's just it's all that you want from an Irish links up and down. You're playing in these big valleys. Uh, it's going to be – it's pure Lynx golf. It's not Lynx style. It's pure Lynx golf. You know, you're going to see shots that you never see. Like guys are going to have a – a ball is going to be 30 yards off a of green, and he's going to putt it. Yeah. Because the glides are so tight. It's going to be amazing. Um, there was an article in golf uh, – on golfchannel.com. Uh, I can't remember who it was, but somebody was quite critical – it might have even been sync. I'm not sure. But somebody was critical. Oh, no, it was Padraig Harrington. Critical of Tiger Woods saying he's not serious about winning the Open because he hasn't played. He will not have played since the U.S. Open. He hasn't got any tournaments on his schedule. And I got to tell you, I think there were some hints and rumors. I think Tiger uh, may be injured again, is my contention. Or hurting or really just not feeling comfortable uh you know think of it i, I just think it's like i had spinal fusion even saying that gives me the willies um he's got to be careful so he could be injured um i think in the last tournament he played out you could see that that tape that he wears kind of that therapy that tape. tape yeah whatever it's called that's coming up the back of his neck um who knows yeah it, it's but hard for, you know but he's he's a seasoned so ter- i'm sorry go ahead Tiger plays it so close to the vest, you never know. Well, but I, I, I think as a seasoned, you know, tournament player at age 43, he knows that he's got to have some reps in yep. between the U.S. Open. It's like five weeks without playing any tournament golf. I just suspect, and there again, I've read this online a little bit, that may, it may not be his back and maybe it's his neck and who knows what it is, but he's too smart and too seasoned not to at least get some tournament. I mean, Brooks Kepka's playing this week at the 3M or whatever it is. Um, pretty great story about Nate Lashley. Oh, my gosh. That was incredible. Absolutely incredible. Um, and, and I, you know, for those who don't know it, um, he's a, a journeyman pro. Uh, his parents died, in a, and, his, and his girlfriend at the time 
died, I think it was coming back from watching him play. Yeah, in t- a, 2004, he watched him play in college. His dad was flying the plane. Yeah. And all, also his mom, dad, and girlfriend all die. Yeah, I mean, that's incredible. Oh, my gosh. Um, and uh, there he came all the way back, uh, was the, you know, alternate, all that stuff. That's what we love about golf is that go check this guy out because he's come out of nowhere, and he's one of the best players on the planet. Um, okay, it's Swing Thoughts. We've got to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about uh, some tournament results, some uh, self-limiting beliefs. Why is it that no matter what your handicap is, you always seem to shoot it? Like, what, what is it about golf, and what is it about the nature of this game that produces the same results all the time? So hang around. We'll be back. It's uh, Swing Thoughts brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas. Uh, and great to be with you on TSN 1150. We're back in a couple minutes. Golf season continues in Ontario and across the country. It is uh, Swing Thoughts. The uh, portion of this program, the program's the Swing Thoughts. <laughs> this, por- <laughs> this portion of the program is brought to you by TaylorMade and Adidas as well. Uh, the Bushnell Rangefinder V4 Shift Laser. Uh, what's that, sir? Crown Royal. <laughs> Uh, I'm Humble Howard, along with Tim O'Connor. Tim's the uh, mental performance coach for the Glen Abbey Golf Academy and, of course, available for private coaching. He's also uh, the head of the Guelph Griffins Golf uh, Program, and I'm the 69th-ranked senior golfer in Ontario. Thank you very much, everybody. Thank you. And golf spiritual leader. Hey, I was just talking about the addictive part of this game, so I'm sitting... In my office, doing the uh, this thing over Zoom, and I was just watching a guy during our break. Uh, he's got one of those big. There's like a fan thing, like it has four sort of fans on it, and you swing it. I know, I've seen it. Resistance. I was just watching him do it, and you know, I know this guy has two little kids. He never gets to play when he, he watches me go with my golf shoes and stuff. It's he gives me a wave, and I just know he's paralyzed with jealousy. <laughs> uh, by the way, that gadget you're talking about, I've. Uh... I've used that. I've, I, I, I have a lot of a long history with gadgets. That, that fan thing is kind of weird, but, you know, some people, it works for them. Uh, yeah, I know. I just thought you were like the guy in Tin Cup. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I, I've told you that story. When, when uh, <laughs> we, uh, my ex-wife and I were at that movie, and there's the scene where Kevin Costner comes out, and he's just literally got every golf gadget. He's got the thing on his cap, and he's got something around. He's got a waistband. And uh, my wife uh, leaned over to me and she said, you've got all those things, don't you? I went, yeah, most of them. <laughs> yeah, I got most of them. Um, we talked a little bit in our first segment about uh, cheating in golf, so don't do that. And a little bit about uh, Tom Watson, uh, the uh, 10th anniversary of him almost winning the Open Championship at age 59. And in this half hour, I want to mention a couple of things Tim and I have been talking about. Tim's got a blog coming out on uh, Monday at O'ConnorGolf.ca, and it's going to be on? Ah, it's going to be on how stuff comes up sometimes and we don't know what's happening. So I'll try and be as 
brief as I can, but um, so Wednesday is our men's night at Blue Springs. I also had a match. We had a team match going on. And uh, so I was playing, we were going to play against um, Mark and Randy and Randy's the men's captain. And anyways, uh, I have a getting unstuck workshop. I'm going to do at Blue Springs in a couple of weeks. So anyways, I'm on the range. I'm working, working through my routine and, hitting shots okay and then i re- i remember that the head pro invited me to speak to all the guys in the cars before they tee off and i suddenly get this little jolt of nervousness as i just think about oh yeah i have to give that little that little very short little talk to the guys so i grab my eight iron shank <laughs> i go oh my god no no not now please not now <laughs> <laughs> and then and then chunk slice shank it's like oh my gosh really i can't believe it and i'm going like like oh this is gonna happen now i'm gonna play with the men's captain i'm gonna lose this match um i'm gonna be giving a workshop the word's gonna get around what are you gonna go to workshop with this hack for he's a choking dog <laughs> and then i went okay what can i swing that doesn't have a hosel all right a driver so I started hitting the driver, I hit it fine. I go to put the driver back and I just went, oh my gosh. It was just that, here's the kind of, if we shall say the learning piece. It just dawned on me that that little bit of nervousness that I got about giving that little talk in, I mean, very short pieces, about 15 minutes, was enough to cause me just to tighten right up. I couldn't swing because I was tight and nervous. And once I realized what was happening, that I was nervous, well, the nervousness just, it just kind of went away. And I actually hit a few eight irons and they were semi-solid. They're okay. And I went and gave the little spiel and off we went and we had a great time and actually managed to win our match. But it was just so interesting how these things can creep up on us and we don't even know what's happening in the chaos of what's happening. Well, I'll tell you as your friend and uh, as somebody that, has studied the mental side of the game, you know, a similar amount. I, you know, what I hear you say, and, what, and, and it happens for me, is that as much as we combine individually, think and talk about all these concepts, we're still human. You know, you, start, you started telling yourself this story, and what if I don't play well, and the captain, and all of a sudden it, you gave it some meaning where it's all just meaningless. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It has nothing to do with any reality. It's just this fantasy that most of us live in. I, I read something this week that said most people have some, you know, 60,000 thoughts a day, and 85% of them are negative and about 90% of them are repetitive, meaning that they're the same stupid thoughts you had yesterday. And they, they, they just become, and, and that's why we love this game, I think, because it's such a laboratory, if Absolutely. you will, for how you can work on yourself in the context of golf, but the learning goes on beyond golf, if you will. Absolutely. And, and that you're absolutely right about how our brains work. I mean, it, our brains are built for survival. So when we actually, when we daydream, most of that stuff is self-referential. And basically it's our brain is going like, okay, how do I make sure uh, this, <laughs> this body stays alive? It doesn't get eaten by, 
whatever monsters out there and yesterday's mistake doesn't come back to haunt him or her. But you're right. Most of the stories we have going, they're just total illusions or fantasies and all that, all that stuff, but they still come up. And we, I get caught in them just like everyone else does. Just like I do. You know, I, just before we started recording today, I was reading an article, excuse me, by a, another former guest of our show, Lauren Rubenstein. Uh, both, uh, both you and I know Lauren very well. And, uh, and, and he was just talking about the concept of, you know, Newton's famous saying about golf is a game where you need to give up control to gain control. But there you were on the range, and just the idea that there might be some stakes involved made you tense up. And what I think tension is, and you can, I'd be interested in your thoughts on this, I think tension is trying to gain more control, and ironically, it gives you less control. You're absolutely right, and that, that's that's the complete irony. We're trying to play this game, play, where, whereas, in fact, most people are trying to control it. They want to do it right, and it, and it works against them. I think the other way to look at it, too, is that with what happens, we, well, it's also, I'll use the I word here, is that I was in a state of, like, oh, my gosh, my survival is at stake. You know, and, you know it's hard to, you know, it's about golf, for gosh sakes, but... In that moment, whether you know it's the same if I step on a branch walking in the woods and like I'm startled by it, my brain could go all over the place because it's trying to keep me alive. So I immediately went to this place of like, oh my gosh, this could happen, this could happen, which is all totally normal. And so fight or flight. And what happens in that in fight or flight is cortisol hormones released into the bloodstream, which gives you strength. You're you know, the your blood starts to flow inward. All that you you sweat, all that stuff. So you're ready either to run like hell or stand and fight for your life. So, like I say, it's it's just golf. Some people don't understand, but that's what happens. And I can tell a, a little tip from uh, the 69th ranked uh, senior in Ontario. I can tell you that I've had uh, this happen to me recently, and it always makes situations better is when I and this is just something I it happened to me in the uh, senior qualifier a couple weeks ago it happened to me yesterday in a tournament where I started off horribly for me I just reminded myself that the lighter I make my grip and the slower I make myself swing is the quicker I'll get back to a semblance of the control I'm looking for but first I have to let go and by letting go I'm going to tell you a couple things I read this week that were great. One was when we let go, all good, all things, everything you want to happen will happen. But first you need to let go. The second one I read um, in Rubenstein's article, he quotes a guy in a book called The Art of Stillness. And it's an author named uh, Pico Iyer, and it's a meditative book. But one of the things he says in this is that the, and this is, this is I know it's, Sounds esoteric and whatever, and how can this relate to golf? But I want you to hear this, golfers, as it relates to the game. And here's the quote. The essence of wisdom is to accept the changes that inevitably and inexorably, inexorably accompany life. Don't struggle. Surrender. Because we all know golf creates this weird environment where we're struggling and we're we can't, we, we can't accept what's happening, and that's why we turn, you know, bad holes into horrible holes. We turn, you know, 
sort of mediocre rounds into terrible rounds. It's because we just can't accept that there is a surrender necessary in order to move on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And what it takes is awareness, is that it takes awareness of where you're at at that moment. And what you were able to capture yourself doing in that tournament and what I was able to do was to go, oh, wait a sec. (laughs) I'm caught in the throes. I'm in the clench. And that's what I call it for me. I remember I I came up with that when in the early days of doing the podcast. You would like, we'd have this nice little chat going, go, hey, coach, what's a tip you could give people? And all of a sudden I was like, oh, here's where I have to prove how smart I am and, and the credibility to be a coach and all that. And I would just tighten right up. And I learned that that was just my own fear, and I was just stuck in it. So I would just start to breathe. But that starts from awareness of what's going on. Because you were caught up in the chaos, you can't do any of this. But uh, you're absolutely right, man, is is that the more that we just kind of give up that control of trying to be invested in the outcome and just let sort of things happen, a.k.a. surrender, that's when good things happen. But we're trained in society against that yeah. about trying hard you know the word grind i freaking hate it but that's unfortunately the way a lot of us are kind of that that that's the training we've been given well i mean yeah i i know you don't like that term but uh, the way i think of grinding is not gnashing of your teeth and you know trying harder what i think of grinding is more like when i when i'm playing with somebody where my when i do this myself where i you know, maybe I'm having a, a bit of a struggle on the hole and I have to chip out of the trees and I just, you know, you get it on the green and you sink a good putt to say par or bogey. I always say to that person, I go, way to stay with it. Yeah. Way to stay with it because it's easy to not stay with it. And I think we all know what that means. And, you, and, and I know myself when I've really, rather than think about what is this putt for or what does this putt mean, when I stay with my process and it turns out good, then I feel like I've grinded, I've, I've stayed with the process. So um, I'm going to tell you a couple things really quickly, and you can reflect. Like I said, I've played a ton of tournament golf, and I've had some good results. I had, you know, a 10th place finish. I've had, um, nice. you know, a couple of 5th place finishes. I qualified for a tournament that I basically spent a year thinking about qualifying for. So I was very happy that I was able to somehow navigate the waters on that day. Um, I've had some good results on men's nights. But I will tell you that these results I'm having, while from an enjoying the day standpoint, they're great. But I've come to this realization. I, I sort of gave you the heads up a few days ago. And this will take a second, and then I want to get your thoughts. Just like all golfers, yeah, I'm a low single-digit handicap, although my handicap right now is higher than it's been in a, a while, and that's fine. So I'm not a one. I'm a two-point something. But I don't, I don't understand why I'm not a plus two. I, there's no physical... There's nothing physically stopping me. I'm a I'm a guy that hits a lot of greens. We've talked about that. I hit 12 or 30. So I'm I, I'm above average when it comes to ball striking. I'm o- I'm okay when it comes to the short game pitching and chipping. And yes, I know I could do that a little bit better, but I'm pretty good. And I'm a very good putter when I'm putting well. 
So I ask you this. Why is it that whether you're a one handicap and you want to be a scratch or you're a 15 and you want to be a 10, what is it about our self, I call them sort of the stories or the self-limiting, what holds us back? And I think a lot of golfers can relate to this. Because there's the old joke about the guy that when he said something like, you know, if I retire, I'm going to, you know, spend more time getting better at this game. And then they retire and they get worse. That's right. So why is it that we always seem to find our, we'll call it the comfort zone or the level of, you know, where you feel, where you sort of always end up around a couple of strokes within your handicap range? What do you think that is? I think a lot of it is, is just how we've seen ourselves through our lives and how, how we define ourselves. You know, when someone says, I am this, that is a belief system and that's an identification. That's a permanent kind of mark they put on someone. When you hear someone say uh, they struggle in the bunker, say, I'm a bad bunker player. Yep, that's a permanent thing, man. You just called yourself that. Or you're carrying a lot of stuff from childhood as well, family of origin. You had a you know, some people unfortunately have uh, parents or uncles or coaches or whatnot that in in moments of stress and perhaps anger or frustration, you know, you suck, kid, or you'll never amount to anything. There's a lot of messages that 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 we took from externally, but unfortunately, I think the bigger piece is is the messages we took on and become part of our belief system. It's how we define ourselves. When we get in a, in a rough spot, you know, we might think, God, I am this. And you go a bit below that, and I'm this. And so when you get right down to it, it, when people are really super honest with themselves, and sometimes it could be in a moment of crisis, it could be a moment of, of extreme, shall we say, intoxication you know, or whatever. When they let their guard down and they really admit what's the core belief about themselves – and that will always define us. That becomes the script for your life. You have unwittingly created, as I say, um, the script, the foundation for your life, so that in a moment of stress or crisis, that's what's going to take hold. Your willpower to do something will take you so far, but at certain moments, quite unfortunately, the message that you've carried, perhaps since childhood, teenage years, whatever, that piece will come up, and most of the time, that's what's going to happen, and we're going to fall prey to our own beliefs and messages we have about ourselves. Well, I, I know you're right. I can feel it instinctively. I know you're right. I'm just trying to, and I think maybe people listening might want to think to themselves, okay, where where does this, how, how do I show up as a golfer, because this is a golf show, and maybe some of those things Tim just said you, you think about in, in terms of the way you conduct yourself as a, as a person, but as a golfer, you know, I had somebody who is pretty close to me who has seen me play some really good golf say this to me last year, and, and he didn't mean anything by it, but it really stuck with me. He said, you should be better than you are. Ouch. And, you know, at first I thought, well, that's kind of a crappy thing to say to somebody, but then I've been thinking about it. And it was kind of a compliment in a way I think of it like backhanded, but yeah, but I chose to look at it that way. Like he's right, you know, and I, I don't want to go through a bunch of rounds, but I have a couple of examples, you know, I'm really hard on myself. And so sometimes when I'm feeling like, why aren't I better than I am? I have to remind myself 
that there were there have been times on the golf course recently that if I had still been conducting myself the way I was when this podcast began, I would have shot a million. But I have a great reservoir now. And yes, I get frustrated. And yes, I uh, beat my hat in the other day with my putter. <laughs> so, yes, I did. But as sins, as sins go, young man, not so bad. But uh, <laughs> it, it was uh, it was on the last hole of a twenty-seven hole tournament. I had just left another putt short, and I took the the grip of my putter and I smashed it against my hat. My hat fell off, and then I took my putter grip and I and I hit the the hat. Uh, across the green and some buddies of mine were watching they said we didn't think we first of all they said that was hilarious and secondly we were going to ask you how you played but i guess that told us but the, the point is i've I, I i am much better at being out at, in the field of battle you know and self-correcting and and making the best of of situations that you know in the past i would have completely let get away from me so good on me but you know, I basically shoot 73 or 74 or a, a 76. The eye shot 85 in a tournament. But but on my good days, I'm always around my handicap. And I just haven't had a lot of breakthrough rounds. And I just wonder, like like a lot of people, like if, you know, my buddy Fred Patterson played the other day and he had his, a great round of golf. He shot 91. And oh, he's, yeah, amazing, right? And And lots of people shoot 91. But they don't shoot 83, even though at 91 you could shoot 83 or 85 or 86. So what do you... The same so way I, you could shoot 65. And six, I, you know, but, and I have a friend of mine who's seen me play a lot of golf and says, you need to shoot 67 or 68 enough times so that you become comfortable with the idea that you can do it. But I tell you, something holds me back. And I, I played in a tournament with some other old guys and... You know, there's a guy who's a very fine golfer, but I watch him hit the ball, and he's no different than me, but he beat me by 10 shots over 27 holes. And he's not 10 shots better than me. And I, and I just wonder what's in his mental toolbox that I don't have. I would say that his mental toolbox is he doesn't have any magic potion. He hasn't read a different book than you've read. He's just got... I would say a combination of experiences where he's come through on some things and developed, as we've said many times, he's developed the evidence that he's able to do that. But what I would say is that what happens for us in all parts of our lives is that the, the core belief that we have about ourselves, and it's a concept called shadow. And it's, it's was, um, uh, Carl Jung is the one who came up with it, the, the Swiss psychologist. And shadow is that part of us that we hide, repress, and deny. That part of us, the belief system, we don't want anyone else to know. We basically bury it. And this is a lot of stuff from, uh, from, that we do largely in childhood. And these, these, these are the parts of us that we've been, you know, we've been shamed or we feel embarrassed about, or, or it's just something that we are not supposed to do. And we take these on as messages that are about ourselves, but we bury them. But they're always there operating in our, our subconscious. But when things are on the line, we that's when they come up and they kind of bite us. They're, they're kind of like the demons in our blind spot. So when you're trying to shoot a good score, when you're trying to do the presentation at work and everything's on the line and you're invested in this and this outcome, 
unfortunately, those shadow messages, they come out and they can, they can bite us. So the, the awareness is, is, is understand what's the message you have about yourself. Basically, write out, I am, and then fill in the blanks. Okay. Well, that's some great. Well, we'll this is something I think we should uh, continue to oh, explore. Um, I'll tell you really quickly uh, a story uh, that will be, I hope, relatable for everybody. I call it the immature bogey. Uh, here's an image. Here's a great example of an immature bogey. I'm playing my arch rival, Tim Southcott, finished second in the Ontario Seniors, won the Senior Club Championship this year, last year I beat him, etc. Anyway, here's a great example of how golf and ego can can lead to, you know, maybe a lesson, uh, lesson the outcome you're looking for. So I'm near the I'm 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 on the left side of a par five and two. He's short of the green. Uh, I've I've got a, a the kind of pitch where I should just you know take my medicine. I'm out of position. I got a false front, a forty yard pitch, and before he hit, I was thinking, okay, the smart shot here is land it pin high, let it release the twenty feet. I'm out of position. I'm in the rough. Take my lumps and maybe sink a twenty footer for birdie. Tim goes ahead and hits it to five feet, and I'm like, okay, buddy. <laughs> so. And so I now change my mind. I'm going to try and hit it close. Obviously, I hit the false front, and it comes all the way down, tight lie over a giant mound. Now I've got to hit it 20 feet just to make sure I make bogey. And as I made my bogey and he made his birdie, birdie, I just said to myself, that was immature. Because the mature guy would have just stuck with what my the I would because I had the right. In fact, I wish I would have hit first because the very worst I'm going to make is par. Now, that's a great example, and we all do it, of it wasn't my golf swing. It wasn't that I didn't know what to do. It's that your, you know, you can, your ego kind of takes over. It was immaturity, and if you yeah. do that enough times around, that's the difference between shooting even par and being three or four over. Because I noticed that in that position, I, I've done that before. I react without even knowing it. I changed my target on that shot, and I yeah, shouldn't have. So that whole thing just comes down to awareness. So if, so if you're able to just kind of go, oh, I'm doing that thing again, you know, I, I need to keep up, or whatever message you had going there, and you would have gone, oh, I'm in that. All right, what do I need to do? Exactly. Uh, smart shot. O'ConnorGolf.ca. Check them out. The uh, new uh, blog is coming out in the next couple of days. HumbleAndFredRadio.com. Of course, like our uh, Facebook page, Swing Thoughts. And uh, always great to be with you. Thanks for listening. It's uh, Tim and Howard on uh, Funny, not Funny, sorry, that's a different station I work at. Uh, see, a TSN 1150, and we'll be back next week with our 100th episode show. Feel all right when you hear the music, baby.